Hi, I'm Laura. Hey, I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by Dream Data. The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across Dream Data employees through our LinkedIn Lives, podcasts, and webinars. The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling, maybe. So, Carrie, welcome to the show. I would like to introduce you, first of all, or at least for you to introduce yourself in the perfect way that is relevant for our attendees. I think you are a person I met who is so knowledgeable about attribution and Marketo, but I would not like to miss any details. So, Carrie, over to you. Thanks, Laura. Great to see you again, Laura, and hello to everybody who's online. My name is Carrie Picklesheimer. I'm an independent MarTech consultant. I focus mostly on Marketo, HubSpot, and attribution software. I've worked with Visible. I also work in Salesforce. But what I really focus on is how the strategy is playing out for people. So what I want to do is I focus on how the tech gets to the outcome, or excuse me, how the strategy gets to the tech to the outcome, not the tech first. So we're always kind of working on our processes and our thought, our mindset first. Mindset sounds a little wishy-washy, but you know, what we really need to do is like, what are we trying to accomplish? And these are the tools we have at our disposal. So instead of saying, I have a drill, what can I, you know, why do I need screws? You think like, I have a drill, I have a hammer, I have a saw. What tool do I need to get this particular part of the job done? So that's how I work. I tend to work with mid-market companies in the SaaS space, but I've worked with banks and financial uh, institutions. So I've kind of worked among the gamut, but I like working with uh, teams where, you know, there are more small marketing teams. They're kind of being tasked both with doing the marketing and the measurement. So uh, people wearing a lot of hats. So yeah. good morning. And good we to see, see everybody. A lot. Yeah. Especially yeah. when they start moving kind of from marketing being a one-person band into something mm-hmm. a little bit bigger as at right. a kind of more of a scale-up type of a company. Carrie, let's get into this. So to start with, what's attribution for you when you think about the concept of it? Yeah. You know, I was looking back and thinking like, we used to use the term marketing analytics a lot more, and now we've switched to using marketing attribution. And so I think to a certain degree, like analytics and attribution reporting tend to be terms that we use a little bit synonymously. And that's only partially true. The difference for attribution is it's essentially your analytics of your, your activity analytics blended with your revenue. So for an example would be like, we might look at form fills. That's a metric. That's analytics. That's reporting. We might say we had 100 form fills last month. What attribution does is goes and says, of the 100 form fills that we got, what revenue is coming from them. So it's a way of assessing the quality of the people you're interacting with. Mm-hmm. So right. it's that revenue right. portion that really sets it apart. It's so interesting that like when you talk about attribution, you might think measurement and quantity, mm-hmm. but you're talking right. quality added. Quality, yeah. To- That's a really good point. Yeah. A lot of times, like I always say, like at the heart of attribution, we're trying to answer the question, what is the best next step? You know, say you're given a a budget of $100,000 to spend in 2023 on your marketing efforts. How do you want to spend that money? So you're going to say, what's the best place to spend the money? Well, the hardest part to begin that question is, how do you define best? Is it the most names from the top of the funnel? That's easy to measure early. But at the end of the day, that doesn't mean anything. You could bring in a thousand new people. And if only two of them go on to be customers, 
you're not necessarily helping your company. So you, what you want to do is focus on like, how do we get the best people into our sales process that are the most likely to buy from us going on? So it's kind of like, you'd be better off to bring in five people if four of them go on to become customers rather than bring in a thousand people if only two of them go on to become customers. So it's that right. trying to figure out what's the best thing to do to get the right people into our sales process. Absolutely. And it paints back the picture of what we started at at Dream Data, defining your ICP, defining what right. is the right client for you. So maybe five is better than 100 because mm -hmm. you'll close them faster, bigger revenue, and they're possibly right. not going to burn either. So cool. Right. But Carrie, I listened to your podcast on marketing operations before. And one of the things mm -hmm. that really hit me was kind of, why are we talking about this at all? Like historically, right. attribution, why is this a problem? And at the right. same time, is it killing marketing? Tell me. I, you know, it's interesting because I've been around marketing for a long time and my background is actually design and advertising. So I was very much not on the, on the data side. I was in the creative side, the logo side, all yeah. of that, more on the branding side. And there really isn't a good measurement of that. All of the measurements that you find about that are very qualitative, but being top of mind was always the goal. Like how do we create the experience for a person that when they see our logo or they see this ad, they know it's our company, they have a good feeling about us and they come back. And it really was with the advent of bringing in the internet and doing a lot more measurement early on that then the conversation started to shift because I remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago when we were having conversations as marketers, they were like, well, now we have this data. And I think the term you heard a lot was we can earn a seat at the table. You know, now we can earn a seat at the table with this data. We can be sitting with the CFO. We can be sitting with the chief of operations. We're now in the mix because we finally have data. So let's get at the table and what do we talk about? And that's good because I think it gave a level of scientific analysis, which made sense to the finance people and the operations people. It gave that ability to kind of measure something that had previously just probably been viewed, maybe it wasn't as respected as it should be, or it wasn't as understood. But the problem is, as soon as we got that seat at the table, there was kind of this need to stay at the table and to keep, we wanted to talk the language of the CEO and CFO, but what we forgot was we still have to speak our language. And so we can't put all of the focus on what's measurable. Like right. there are so many things that go along with marketing. And I would even expand marketing to, if you really think about it, like your customer support team, you mentioned churn, like the worst case scenario is you spend all this money to get new customers in the door. And if they're gone in a year, not only have you lost a customer, you've lost a prospective customer because once they've been your customer and you've lost them, that's worse than them never having been your customer at all. You know, they're like a negative. They might be a detractor from your company if they come in, if they weren't the right fit. And so attribution, if we put that as a primary focus above yeah. understanding our ICP and going beyond that, like not just what is our ICP, what matters to them? You know, these are people, what worries do they have at work? I remember something I learned early on in a content marketing class was that we have this tendency to think of B2B purchasing as very analytical and people are making decisions based more on like facts and figures. And we, we don't think of it as being emotional. 
there's actually a lot more emotion in a B2B buying process maybe than in personal because there's a level of fear. Your jobs may be at stake. If you're going to go to your company and recommend that we bring in this software platform that's going to cost, you know, six figures a year to maintain, we're going to need staff to maintain it. And you have to say, this is what it's going to bring us. Like that's way different than making a decision to buy your own self a car or a TV, where if you mess it up, it's really just on you. It's not affecting yeah. other people. So it's interesting. It goes so much deeper than just can we attribute marketing's work to revenue. Of right. Around, but we have to look at it so much broader. But now right. you spoke about bringing in marketing to the table. I love that. Mm -hmm. But to stay at the table at the same time, talk with right. me about the ownership of attribution. Who owns mm -hmm. attribution? usually at the company, where does it start? And who do you think should be right. doing it? I mean, I do think like, when I say that it's bad that we felt like we had to stay at the table, I think that it's really important to do this. Like, it doesn't mean that it's not important. It just has to be a blend. And so I do think it starts with marketing. It kind of starts with marketing and ends with marketing in that marketing is the one making the decisions on where to spend the time and the money in the marketing efforts, right? Like, so I tend to use a very simple idea of sales and marketing and that both groups are contributing or communicating with prospect prospective buyers the difference is marketing is one to many and sales is one to one you know and it's you know like obviously a little like sales is talking to multiple people at a company you have multiple yeah. but if you really look at it that way that's the key difference between the two departments the how they operate mechanically so when you go with that and you think about that Marketing is the one doing this mass communication. So when you start an initiative, you need to have a sense early on, how am I going to measure this? And if it's a brand campaign, the answer may not be something you put on an Excel spreadsheet. It might just be like, we're going to poll our customers after six months. It's, it's that. But every initiative you do should go in thinking, this is what we're going to do. And here's mm -hmm. how we're going to measure success along the way. So that's where marketing should measure it. That being said, Marketing should absolutely early be in communications with sales. Sales and marketing should be speaking. We're not just, you know, like there's graphics of like, you know, you know, comics of like marketing throwing leads over the fence. We're going to throw. It should not be that way. It should no be. There should be no surprise. Sales knows the ICP. Marketing knows the ICP. And we should yeah. be talking weekly, monthly, quarterly. How are those people coming in? Are they the right ones? What are you hearing from them? What are the pushbacks you're getting? What? Like when they say, I heard about you from the podcast. Well, which podcast, which episode, like ask questions. And so right. marketing needs to be kind of the one steering those conversations because I don't think salespeople always know the right information to pass back. And I would even say early on, you need to be bringing in, you know, the, the management level, the operations people, mm -hmm. the finance people, all of that. And so that you can kind of be managing expectations. Like the worst thing you can do is hope to have this grand reveal at like a quarterly business review where you say like, this is what we did. And they're like, wow, that's not what I thought I was going to see. You know, you yeah. should be like communicating with them constantly about this stuff as much as they will tolerate. Yeah. And it goes into what you're talking about more, the culture of the company, how we're working mm -hmm. together rather than just reporting of attribution. Right. Interesting. Exactly. All right. But now if we put on numbers on marketing and like mm -hmm. they come with attribution, they're also asked to be measured. Now they're coming into the board meetings and so on. Are we then killing their ability to be creative? Yeah. I mean, I, I love that when we started this conversation before anybody was online, we were talking about like ICPs and all of that. And 
we kind of know that as a term, but what I think attribution really does is like we, we talk about how this is measuring the quality, the people that go yeah. on to be, you know, we measure the, the opportunity value, the lifetime, you know, the lifetime value, annualized value, all of that. But what you really want to be using attribution for early is you want to be learning about which people are coming in. Where uh -huh. are they hearing about you? Are they doing a lot of stuff on social media? Are they doing stuff, you know, like, is it a group that is like mainly podcasts or magazines? Like, we don't really know all of these things. Like this stuff still happens, you know, is it much more of a word of mouth? And so what you want to do is use this data to understand how people are acting in real life. Mm -hmm. And then you take that and you start to craft the message, right? Like you kind of understand stuff. I mean, we've all been um, recipients of this, you know, like you're buying something and then Amazon's like, I noticed you bought this flashlight. Do you need batteries? And it's like, well, statistically, because, you know, like maybe someone in that side said, hey, people need batteries. Or maybe they went and said, statistically, people buy batteries at the same time they buy this. And so they suggest that to you. And so when that happens and it feels like they're trying to solve your problems rather than like spy on you, it's a much mm -hmm. more positive experience. And so you can do that with your audience. If you track which web pages are they visiting? What is that topic of that? And then I always say, like, expand on that. Can you take something that maybe was a white paper? Could you turn that into a podcast, into a video, into an infographic? Spread it out and present the information in different ways so that you can reach your audience in the way that they need to get that information. This is so yeah. invaluable. Also for yeah. sales, because you want to be talking as your buyers want to buy from you. So you're designing right. the buyer experience as they're actually buying, not like how you envision they are doing it. Right, right. But exactly. People, then you would kind of, as a salesperson, then marketing is your closest ally. And they would tell, yeah. oh, these persons maybe are now in our SQL stage. Usually they read this, go and send this over right. to them. So you don't ask right. like cliche stuff or something. Yeah. And I always say like, don't be weird about it, right? Like, don't send an email that says, I noticed you were on this web page and you didn't complete yeah, the form. Yeah. So here's the white paper. But I do think <laughs> it becomes the type of thing to start a conversation with. When you look at it for how, like, I think like what you really need to do that something we, we've lost track of is empathy for our buyer mm -hmm. and put some empathy on it. Like imagine they're as busy as you, they have pressures at their job. So how can you make their job easier? Don't make yeah. them work for it. You know, reach out and say like, you know, I know you don't even say I notice. Like you might just say like, this is a white paper that's really popular to some of our other customers. So what I did was I, I highlighted the three biggest points in this email that might help you, you know, in the next few months as you go about doing your job. Nice. So nice. You're yeah, like little things like we should be picking out like to me, the real the real nuggets are in the details that we have a tendency to just brush right over. For sure. The conversation is so interesting because it is shifting much more into both the quality and mm -hmm. qualitative measurements. But yeah. when you think about attribution, usually whenever mm -hmm. whoever hears, hears of attribution, they would say, okay, so this is for leadership. This is like all the channels that we are in and let's scale them. Right. For operations, it's something else. Can you help me understand where do we see gaps in attribution expectations? Company, yeah, I think are having different ones. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest gap that we have, and it's common across all companies, all industries, is that there's a big difference between what executives think they're going to get out of attribution 
and yeah. what marketers are doing with it. Cause like everything we've just been talking about is how marketers can use the data. Yes. But the reality is we are all asked to provide reports on our spend, its success rate, why should we continue spending in that way? And so that's where you get into attribution at scale. And that's where a tool like Dream Data or Visible, or if you're exporting data from Google Analytics and Marketo and all of that and putting it in like a Tableau or a Power BI, whatever tool you're using, what you're really trying to do is make sense of lots of data boiled down into something that can kind of be easily understood. Where we find gaps is that it is definitely different than financial data. So for example, we can run a report of all the opportunities that were created and closed in 2022. And that should be a pie that we can split apart and we can break it apart by sales rep. We can break it apart by industry, whatever, but it's a pie and we can slice it into even pieces. Attribution data is not that clean on the simple fact that what it's doing is it's measuring human activity and right. human activity is not predictable or logical. And I'll use one example that I use frequently. You have somebody's personal or you have someone's business email in your database. You're sending out invitations to a webinar. It's a high value webinar. People who do this are going to close at an enormous rate. It's an awesome webinar. But the person who fills out the form uses their personal Gmail because they're going to watch it when they're home for a sick day. And so now you have a person that doesn't tie back to their business email until you go through the steps to rectify it. And that's one example in a small way, but what happens is when you have a large database, those nuances start to kind of skew the data. What happens then is, is really unfortunate in that instead of looking at it and saying, okay, we know we're measuring humans, that there is some fluctuation of error in this data, we're gonna be okay with a 90% accuracy rate. This is what we talk about being directionally accurate. You know, like we had more than last year. It doesn't really matter if it's, 90, 100, or 110, we're kind of in the ballpark. But what happens is once an executive starts looking at it and starts asking questions and it kind of like, you start pulling back this thread, it starts to feel like it's not accurate. And because it's yeah. not accurate, well, then none of it's accurate. And that's like a real detrimental way to look at it because it's always been inaccurate. I mean, branding is inaccurate, but it's still valuable. It doesn't need to be accurate, you know? So... Right. That's the right. hardest part. And I see that everywhere. And I'll be honest, even getting to work with as many clients as I've been fortunate enough to work with and speak with them and their higher ups, it's a still a really hard argument to win because it still comes back to like, but what do you mean it's not accurate? When you say it's not accurate, mm -hmm. like how does how am I supposed to not trust that? Because there's also the feeling like, are, are people hiding things? Are we skewing the data to favor different things? So it's a really hard perspective to have. Yeah, it can both bring you closer or take you apart, <laughs> depending right. on which path of the conversation you're picking up. That's, that's right. right. And if mar management is measuring marketing only mm -hmm. according to the dashboards that they're getting, what are the dangers there? I mean, I think that what ends up happening, and this is the one that I think I feel strongest about because it has a real high human cost, like it takes its toll on marketers, it leads to burnout, it leads to frustration, is that then you stop marketing for what will be best long term. And you start marketing based on what you can measure and what will look good on the dashboards. You know, you start skewing what you do. Like you might be gating content that really shouldn't be gated 
just to be gaining more people in your database. And some content should be gated, some content should not be. But if your goal is measurement, you're going to gate it. And that's not great. That's right. Yeah. And one other thing that I think is really important that I probably should have mentioned in the last one about the human thing is we can't forget all of the privacy laws. This is really important that we need to respect our audience and respect all the laws. I mean, you look at GDPR, what we can measure, the big law, CCPA in California. I mean, when you have California making a law, it basically affects the whole U.S. just because of the size and their reach. This is a really important thing that marketers have to both understand and respect that not all of our audience wants to be tracked all the time. I don't think any of us as marketers, how many marketers have ad blocking software active on their computer? We're all dodging being tracked too. So that part plays a big role in the accuracy of our data. But again, it doesn't mean that it's not valuable. Right. So if you have a company you're working with who are considering to add attribution mm-hmm. software or build in-house attribution right. into the mix. What is it that they should start thinking about to yeah. begin with? I mean, I think that that everybody should be doing this in some way, shape or form. I mean, even myself as a sole proprietor with a small HubSpot database, I still take a look like where are people hearing mm-hmm. about me from? So. I don't think you should feel intimidated by the need to have software when you begin. In fact, a lot of the things that make you successful with attribution software comes down to fundamentals. And I'm sure you've seen this with your dream data customers. It's the people who have a clear sense of what they want to measure. They have a Mm -hmm. clear vocabulary internally. You know, they have clear communications across the different departments, sales, marketing, finance, customer support. So I think that the first thing you want to do is define the channels that you're going to measure and just get your vocabulary the same. Are you going to call it paid social or are you going to call it, you know, social dash paid, social dash organic? It's semantics, but semantics cause problems down the line for sure. So getting that shared vocabulary of what you're measuring and then little stuff that's free. Everybody should be sending out with UTM values. There's tons of Google itself will help you do build a UTM. And so If you don't understand how to use UTMs, ask another marketer. It took me a long time to figure it out too. It's a little bit, you know, how do you get them back in on your form? You don't have to have JavaScript. Almost all of the major, even like Squarespace, you can gather hidden fields. You don't have to know a ton. So start doing that kind of stuff. And then I think what you want to do is just kind of build this relationship with your data. But I always like to say, like, go into it more as a detective than as a person looking to kind of build a PowerPoint. What can you learn? about your audience, about the buying process, about all of that. And then you have this data to kind of start the story. I mean, one of the things when you sent me some of the questions in advance, I loved that storytelling. I think the words were used more than once because the data, when you craft a story about the data, it's not fiction, (laughs) but you're building it in a way that like everybody likes to hear a story rather than look at a spreadsheet. So That is what I would say, like start to build this like relationship with your data where you start to see it as clues to your audience that you use weekly or monthly basis. Right. And it was one of the questions before we joined about like how how can you use attribution or any other data touches that you already got to tell your go to market story. So, So it is a story rather than just like, I know this is a complete map. This is how we should be growing because it will be ever changing all the time. Right. I was talking with uh, someone yesterday saying, 
do you think any of the measurements you're using now in January 2023 really relate to what was going on in January 2022? Like uh -huh. the world is changing quite a bit. Econo you know, there's a lot of stuff going on constantly. So we have to constantly be adjusting. So you can't mm -hmm. just set it and forget it. It's not like that. One question, Carrie, that we get from a lot of our prospects is, can you help me prove marketing contribution to revenue? Right. What is your opinion about that kind of a request? It's probably one of my two least favorite phase, phrases. Proving contribution to revenue and helping understand how do we give credit. Those are my two least favorite because it implies that there's like one group that is doing this one thing or this series of things at a certain time that is going to work for everybody and it doesn't. So I would ask like one hypothetical question. Do you ask your customer service team to prove their contribution to revenue? Like, do you ask them to prove that? Do you ask your HR prove that you're doing your job? You should be doing your job. I mean, I feel like doing your job is like step one of doing your job. Like, Show up and yeah. do what you're assigned to do. But that being said, I realize that that's like a very esoteric way of looking at it. It's big picture. We can't quite throw that back in our boss's faces when they say that. So what I think is, Matt, is important is that you are able to understand what's going on. Like you need to have a good understanding of what's going on. It shouldn't be happenstance. You shouldn't be throwing darts at the dartboard and just praying for success. What you need to do is go in and saying, this is what we spent last quarter. This is what we saw happening. Unfortunately, we noticed a big decline in social. So in mm -hmm. the next quarter, what we're going to do is move some of the money and effort we were spending on that into paid search, or we're going to invest in a podcast. You, what you really need to do is you need to have the strength of character based on the data that you have to yeah. say, here is how this is impacting. And one of the other hardest parts about attribution to explain to people is for most B2B SaaS companies, the buying cycle is anywhere between six months, 18 months, right? Like we have some companies that have really long buying cycles. Well, that means right. that what you're doing today is going to impact revenue in mid 2024. It's not going to show up on any of the reports that you do this year, but no. also all of the revenue you have this year is kind of the result of what you did last year. So there's a timing gap. And that's why we have to say, it's more like you use the dashboard of your car to kind of keep, you know, you have a goal in mind. So what you need to do is you say like, this is our goal. We know that our company needs to bring in X revenue. We know that mm -hmm. this year our intent is to focus on building our back to base sales rather than net new logos. So like you really want to be clear about what the destination is. And then you start using all those dashboards to kind of make sure you're on the same path, the right path. And so it's like kind of like just gently steering in between the, the guardrails of that line. And so I think that you've got to resist the urge to build reports that always look positive because that's yeah. not true. Not everything's always positive. But when things do start to dip, you should have an assessment of why. And you need to be prepared for some options to correct it. You can't just say, well, the economy is really bad, so people aren't buying. It's like, okay, well, if that's true, what's our plan? You know, how do we right. communicate something better? How do we change our offerings? All of that. You really have to be informed. And I think the other thing that I would recommend people doing is don't wait to be asked. Get the data first and mm -hmm. go to your executives and saying, 
these are our marketing initiatives. These are how we're measuring it. These are our goals. Here's how we intend to get there. I'd like to have this meeting with you once a month, once a quarter, whatever it is with your timeline so that we can share with you how we're doing. It's a much better way to control the conversation than it is to wait for someone to come and ask you. And then you're kind of behind the power curve of like, now they're asking me for like, how many people clicked emails? And you're like, that's not what I wanted to talk about at all. You want to be the one bringing the stuff because you know what's valuable. They may not fully understand which data points are actually useful in making better marketing and sales decisions. I love that really much, especially because I'm in sales. Because right. what is being sent to me from marketing means that has been cooking for at least half a year. So right. if marketing is able to capture it early and say that to the executives or to the sales team, this right. is what's happening. What should we do? Should we add a channel? Right. Should we cut spend? What is it that mm -hmm. we should do? So in the final line, when we close right. the client, we know why we did this. Right. Yeah. And if you just you being in sales, like what a more positive experience than for a marketer to come to you and be like, hey, just a heads up. I'm noticing our web traffic has dropped off dramatically. Here's why I think that's happening. And here, like, can you and I talk? Can we brainstorm some ideas based on what you know and what I know on how to get ahead of this? Because I don't want to see our opportunity creation drop three months from now. Like then you need to act like the partner you want to be. You can't expect, and I, I don't mean this in a rude way, but like respect is earned, not given. And so if you want to be seen as a valuable partner to the organization with a seat at the table, you need to act as a valuable partner with a seat at the table. So you have a lot of access to data. You have a lot of access to behavioral data, demographic data, all of that stuff. You might be the first one to spot a red flag, or you might be the first one to spot an opportunity. Go to the people and start. I think it's great if you can build a level of trust in the organization that you can have these conversations maybe before all the thoughts are fully baked out. Like I'm a very mm -hmm. extroverted thinker. So I tend to be like, I'm seeing something. I don't know what to make of it. Can we talk through it? But that doesn't work with everybody. I'm not going to go to a CEO and say like, hey, can we spend a, an hour brainstorming this? Their time is you know, spent on other things. But if you have the right relationships in the organization that you can start identifying problems and opportunities and then together build a plan. That's like the best case scenario. Absolutely. It's a very good use yeah. case. So Carrie, for now, I will ask for some questions from mm -hmm. the audience and I've got one more of a like futuristic thinking question about AI and stuff. We all love to talk about that nowadays, but before right. we go there, Carrie, mm -hmm. did I miss out on some very specific things that you think that, oh, we should have been talking more about this? No. I mean, like, I think that one of the questions was, like, what's the balance between creativity and data? And someone posed this on LinkedIn the other day. And I think it's just that yin-yang graphic of uh -huh. it's kind of a 50-50, but rotating, you know, like, it's never like data first, creativity second. It's like data, creativity, yeah. data, creativity. Like, it's got to be this, like, ebb and flow. We're always working together. What data do we have? What do we learn? What can we do? That gathers us more data. What do we have? What do we learn? Right. What do we do? Type thing. Absolutely. And yeah, because we're used to marketing to be so creative. And yeah, I spoke everything, branding and so on. But if we do all that stuff and measure, then you can continuously mm -hmm. be very creative in the realms yeah. that actually are bringing revenue to the company. Right. Not just what right. is cool. 
Exactly. I love that. So, Wilfred I, has asked a question about how can you, well, maybe it's like, I mean, AI has been so overused. It's like, what is this at all? It's just automated data, right? Right. But his question is, <laughs> how can you use attribution to predict campaign performance? Can you use that? Have you seen any use cases? Talk about that a little bit. I'll be honest that I haven't had a ton of experience using AI in this realm or in any realm, maybe. But that being said, I will go back to something that my economics professor said in college. And uh -huh. he said they've done constant, like, you know, this was, I don't want to say what year it was. I wanted to, it was 2000. No, it's like, no, that was, it was even before that. But basically, like, in looking at stock market performance, if you have monkeys throwing darts at a dartboard compared to the best level of analysts, compared to the best computer analyst, who is the best at picking stock performance? And the answer is none of them. They're all equal because what affects stock performance, which is the same thing that affects campaign performance, is what's going on in the market right now. And mm -hmm. I don't know how much AI can take in external factors. So... AI being like a very general thing. Like if you assume that chat GPT, I guess, that we could put in this question and say like, which campaign, like how much do they really know? And so I think it's like a good starting point. Like that's what someone said, like you could use it for your first draft. So like if we say like this AI says this campaign perf will perform really well if we run it now, run it, you know, do it as a pilot, watch it. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't invest all of your money, you start to do it. But I think that what, where I get a little bit eerie about AI is this idea of like, if you think about it, truly you should be building a relationship with your prospects and your customers that should be based on a level of authenticity. And some of that is measurable, right? Like all companies seeking attribution software or sales software or operation software, there are commonalities that can be measured and put on a spreadsheet. But that doesn't necessarily mean that AI is going to be able to crunch all of that data and give you everything you need. So keep the human part of it. Mm -hmm. Again, work hand in hand. I think AI is kind of like that data side. And then the creativity is like, you want to bring the human side. I'm old fashioned in the sense that I still like human creativity and writing. And I think that uh, luck happenstance are all certain things. Like it happened to be lucky that you went out and got coffee one day and bumped into the person who you just happen to be selling to because you're local, whatever it might be, like, let's not negate how luck or personal, like being nice to a person, you know, like all of these things matter and they're not all measurable. So I think that this is where you've got to strike that balance between what is important for human to human interaction and what is important for the data side. Absolutely. Yeah. So balance it out. Your creativity, balance it out, your human yes. And yes. Data. Yeah. Love that. Right. right. We didn't have any questions on the chat. Okay. Okay. So we were, there is a question oh, wait, on the chat. There we go. Alan. So I'm sure there's no right or wrong answer, but what amount of investment have you seen companies making in attribution software relative to overall budget? Ah, that is actually a great question because it often gets asked in terms of like, when should we consider adding on attribution software? So I have a very general rule of thumb that you probably want to wait to get attribution software until the amount of money that you're spending on advertising in some way, whatever channels it is, is 
three to four times what the attribution software costs. So if you're buying a service that's 20,000 a year, I would probably expect that your company is spending 80 to 100,000 on marketing efforts to truly get some sort of ROI because what you want is to be able to use the attribution software to make better decisions on that spend. And so that being said, it can also be, so that's like a very broad rule of thumb for people who have a budget. If you have a budget of $20,000 and you don't do any outbound spend and it's all organic, let's not forget that time is still valuable. And so when you're doing your organic advertising, social, content marketing, SEO, all of those things, attribution software can still provide a lot of data that isn't as easy to get just using tools like Google Analytics and your Marketo, your Marketo stuff. You can still do some of it, but that's probably where you're going to start to see the best bang for your buck. I would kind of kick yeah. that back to you, Laura. What do you say on that when people ask you? Yeah, I, I love the question because as a rule of thumb, as exactly as you're saying, look at your paid spend. What are you spending, on, especially unpaid? Because this is where usually the biggest savings are seen instantly. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's the ROI? If you're spending a lot on your paid marketing channels, it will be pretty easy. It's like if your attribution software co will cost you like 5% of your overall yearly spend, definitely invest in that. But we've right. got clients who came to us that are growing absolutely organically, use almost zero for paid, but they wanted mm -hmm. to understand is organic working. Our SEO mm -hmm. campaigns that we're running, are those working? Help us out to map it. Are we closing any business out of those? Right. Because we're bootstrapped, we don't do that, or we don't believe in right. paid or whatever. If if, right. if they're in a, like kind of a very niche market, mm -hmm. you might not need paid. So right. mapping the data together is important. At the same time, right. you can calculate the, the time that your operations team is using connecting the joints, the, the data together. Right. You kind of trust it, but mm -hmm. if they're using a couple of hours every week just to get the reports out to management, it also might be a good case. Yeah. On top one of my favorite. Market. Yeah, one of my favorite. Sorry to interrupt. I have a tendency to do this. Yeah. So get very excited. Um, one of my favorite things about attribution software is actually instead of tracking which channels matter, because there's a tendency that you're going to do the channels you're going to do, meaning just because you know Twitter doesn't bring in a ton, it's if it's a low lift to do Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and all that, like you're still probably going to do it because of the brand exposure. So there's a level of not everything is going to be a difference. Like you're not going to change your pathway. But I really love using attribution software to look at which content and topics are resonating with people. Is there a particular piece of content? that your high value clients all relate to. That can be a white paper, a blog post, whatever it is. Like I love that because it, to me, it tells me more about the mind of my customer and prospect than just where right. they came from. So I think there is a value to it, but I understand that when you're looking at ex, you know, a spend, you've gotta be very cautious about how you spend that money. So yeah, thank you very much for that question. question. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Alan. All right, Carrie. Thank you so much for today. This was fantastic. We hope you like listening to us. Subscribe to our podcast and the ones that we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.